the Oakdale Christian Centre podcast. As a church, we support the work of Gwyn and his wife Diane in their missions helping children in Africa. Gwyn recently visited us to let us know about his latest trip and how he got started in this work. It's lovely to be here again to see you and to um, uh, be allowed to come back and to say thank you. Um, uh, we, we praise the Lord and we love to praise God and we, we are so blessed by what he does for us and we're so thankful. Um, but I wanna, we want to be thankful as well for, uh, for you as a church and individuals in this church and in this short period of time, the difference that you've made. And uh, um, there's a big thank you from me. And also, I think there's a photograph coming up. There's a thank you from some of the Sandra Jones girls and some of the children. So you'll have a photograph to go with it. And uh, that's off. That's off the kids for you. Um, They are aware of you. And actually, even though these girls have been through so much trauma and a terrible time in their life, they are praying for you. They are praying for this church in Oakdale. And uh, so as we rolled the banner out for them, we talked about you. And uh, you have already made a difference in the lives of some of these girls and especially the children. So thank you so much for all that you've done. I've been thinking especially lately about um, the way God has taken me and the route that I've gone. I wasn't born in Africa, but Africa was born in me. And uh, the way that God has taken me through the years, I became a Christian on a Wednesday night. And uh, on the Thursday morning, 7.30, I was on my way to a building site in Newport. And uh, thinking of how I was going to tell all these guys that I'd worked with for so many years, how I'd just become a Christian the night before, how I had just accepted Christ as my Savior. And I think I was hoping in the back of my mind the bricklayers and the carpenters and the plumbers and the scaffolders and all these guys that I was working with would say, wow, Gwen, that's fantastic. Tell me more. Uh, well, if you, don't, if you know any building workers, you know they wouldn't say that. And uh, so from there on in, uh, I had to put up with t- torrents of abuse and, and whatever. And uh, there was, there was, a, there was a, a, a thing that Peter Palmer said to me. He was the one that led me to the Lord. He said, regarding uh, God's word, and you know, the devil's going to come at you. Just remember God's word. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. So that's been in my mind and in my heart for, for many, many years. God said it, I believe it, so that settles it. And uh, so I started reading the Bible for, for the very first time. As a, as a uh, quite, well, I'm really, really old now. Not a, well, you know, he's quite young, this guy, were you? Now, 60 is just a number. Dave. 60 is just a number. And then he's going to say to me, I was 50, but when I was 60, still just a number. So I, I started reading the Bible for the first time. And even though I was, I, was, I was quite old, I started reading the Bible and looking at the things that I was reading as a child. Because I was a child in Christ, and I started reading them with a, with a childlike faith. So when I read when I read, in all your ways acknowledge him, he will direct your path. Well, I believe that. 
totally, 100%. Because one of the things, after I prayed the prayer of salvation, one of the things that I prayed when I got back home that night was, Lord, I don't like complicated puzzles. I want to work for you. I want to do something for you. But please don't make it complicated. And then the next day, the phone rang, and uh, David Lewis wanted me to come and work with him, with the youth. I worked with the youth like 14 years, also in the Sunday school, and I was in a group, and I led worship in the church, and uh, we used to go to youth clubs and uh, schools, uh, prisons, and uh, mind you, there was, you know, when you, when you start singing modern music and doing modern things, um, then there were a few people that thought maybe because of the music, maybe we should have gone to prison anyway. Uh, because all the songs that, you know, you cannot go into Cardiff prison and sing Jesus Wants Me for a Sunbeam, can you? So we were doing those kind of music that some people didn't, didn't like. But through that music, I got to, we got to go to Abertillery, to a youth rally, and met a, met a man called Sam Jones. And then through that, we were able to go to Africa. And that's 29 years ago. I went a few years with him, but he also invited me to America. So for all of those years, I was going to America as well. He said, come to, come to America. And uh, we're, we're having crusades and revivals, I think they called them then. And uh, the very first time he asked me, he said, I want you to fly into New, uh, to New Orleans. He said, I'm going to pick you up and we're going to go on, on, have these crusade meetings. And uh, we're not going to the, where all the, the wealthy people, we're going to go to trailer parks and places where all the poor people are. I said, that's fine by me. I said, I'm used to poor people. And uh, so we did that. But one of the, well, it was fairly funny to me. I arrived in, uh, in New Orleans airport and I picked up my suitcase and my guitar wasn't coming around on the carousel. And uh, uh, I said to a guy, I said, I got a guitar somewhere. He said, oh, the fragile items are on another carousel. So I went to the other carousel. And as I watched all these things come around on the carousel, there was lots more guitars. There was, there was the boxes that had, I think, saxophones and trumpets in and whatever. And I couldn't get over why all these musical instruments were coming around this carousel. And uh, so the guy was by the side of me, he had a suitcase. He said, oh, I'm waiting for my guitar too. I said, why is there so many musical instruments? He said, oh, you've come to New Orleans and New Orleans Jazz Week. All the, all the best musicians, jazz musicians from all over the world are coming here this week. So I got my guitar and put it on the thing. And as I, I was going out into the arrivals area with all these guys who were best musicians from all around the world. And the paparazzi were there, click, 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 taking pictures. And I, th I th think a few of them got a picture of me as well. And uh, I, so I was walking out and I was trying to have a look on my face that showed that I was uh, a world-renowned musician, a guitarist. But inside I was laughing because I was saying to myself, well, he's from the valleys and he only knows three chords. And so we, I, I worked with this guy, and he became a dad to me. So I worked with him uh, for, for many, many years, and uh, in, uh, nine, nine times into Louisiana and five times into Alabama. And then he went on, and uh, he, was with his, uh, he was with his family up in Georgia, and he became very, very ill, and he was put, taken into a nursing home. To, now, by now, he's 93. And uh, Dan said, listen, you, you're going to regret it if you don't see him. So... Um, I flew to, flew to Atlanta and, uh, with some of his friends and we went to, went to see him in his nursing home. 
and uh, got up to his nursing home and I took loads of pictures that I had uh, for, him, for him to show, show him what was happening, what God was doing. And uh, I also got hold of a guitar and uh, we went into his nursing home and uh, he said, get your guitar out and start singing. So he did what he'd always done in Africa. He said, right, you, you sing. And then people come around. And all the people in the nursing home came around. I know a lot of people think that when I sing that they kind of, they just kind of go, but they actually came around. And then in his wheelchair, he couldn't stand in his wheelchair, he preached the gospel to all the elderly people in this nursing home. And uh, that was, I'm choking up now. So for 29 years, I'd worked with this guy for 29 years, and he'd had me singing and testifying, and he would do the preaching. And we seen God move in such amazing ways. One night in a township, um, right out in the middle of nowhere, in the open air, there were six or seven hundred people got saved. And because everybody was standing, he said, if you need Christ as your savior, fall to the floor. And everywhere I could hear people falling to the floor and all around. And I tried to count, I counted around 600 plus and they were falling to the floor in the dust. And because we'd used a PA system, I looked further across I don't know, 100 yards maybe across, and people had heard the gospel. And there was women with babies on their backs that are kneel, kneeling. And you could hear all these people calling on God to save them. And there are things like that that if I live to be a 1,000, I will never forget. And so God was able to take us and, and do all of these things. Uh, you know, one of the roads that I went down, we, we went down, Diana and myself, we became foster carers for 12 years. And um, when we look back now, it, it, there might have been preparation there for, for all the children that we were going to stand by and support when we got to Africa. So there were lots and lots of things, uh, the way God took us and the way God led us. And when I was going to these building sites every day, um, I was emboldened by, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. And I went there knowing that I was going to get pummeled every day. And so every day, I had to nail my colors to the mast. Every day, I had to say, today is the day I'll decide I'm following Christ. And as the boys say, oh, we'll give you a week, we'll give you a month. And it went on, and it went on, and it went on. And they got tired before I did. And uh, God was so good, and I was able to witness to many, many people. And, uh, you know, the God, God was able just to bring me to certain people and and guys who, in a big group, would be a part of the joke and whatever, would maybe later on, when we were maybe working together somewhere, would just ask me a few questions. And uh, so I'm so, so thankful to God for the way that he led me, the, the path that he led me down. And that path, for 29 years, has led me to Africa. Um, my granddaughter, I just, I just showed Dave actually, I just had a, a WhatsApp from my daughter in Minnesota, there's a uh, tornado coming. And uh, so she sent some pictures of the tornado that's coming. And I said, get down in the cellar. I said, don't worry about the spiders, she don't like spiders. And there's spiders in her cellar. I said, get down in the cellar and just, you know, just stay safe, stay safe. But my youngest granddaughter, uh, she just turned three, Charlotte, um, she, uh, She's gone on a, last week was a, like a Bible, Bible week um, for children, 200 children in the church that she goes to. And uh, it was Bible week. And she's always been talk, told about Africa and whatever. And so when she came home from the Bible week, uh, uh, the first day, Tanya said to her, 
what did you learn today, Charlotte? She said, I learned about God. So we've got to get that out of her when she comes back home. I learned about God. Do you mean God? No, God. So we got that out of her. She said, and I learned about Papa's Africa. So she's talking about Papa's Africa. So as far as she's concerned, Africa is mine. And uh, so we, we've, we've had an amazing, amazing time and seeing God move in such amazing ways. And uh, some of the photographs that you've seen before, so I'll flick through them as quick as I can. But there's some fresh ones I want to, I want to update you on. This, was, uh, this is for the disabled children. They painted this. It's in the school where 350 disabled children are. And I think I might have told you before, that's the trouble. When you, when you start to get older, you think, did I just think it before or did I say it? And I think I might have said it to you, but in Africa, uh, disabled children in wheelchairs or walking with crutches get spat at and stones thrown at them because they think what they have is a curse from their ancestors. So these fantastic children are just unbelievable. Uh, I left this young lady in here because she's got a club foot, club feet, and my granddaughter has club feet, uh, but she's going to be okay. But that poor girl is going to have to live with that. Assemblies with these kids are absolutely fantastic. This is Christina. You might have seen her before. She is just fabulous, and we help and support her. Um, because she's disabled, uh, nobody wants anything to do with her. Family don't want anything to do with her, so we've helped to, when, she le when, she, um, when the school holidays come, she's able to go and stay with her grandmother, who doesn't really want her, but we have to pay the grandmother some money and give the grandmother some food. Um, Gideon's Bibles from Mike. These are just some of them. Uh, in the last uh, three visits, I think over 200 Bibles we've been able to give out. And you, the excitement is that is on these kids' faces, and the, when they take a Bible off you, it's just unbelievable. They just never thought that anybody would ever give them a Bible of their own. Another young man who gets by with doing his work that way. Somebody went to visit uh, the school and uh, they walked around the school for about an hour and they said, where do you keep the miserable kids? <laughs> you, don't, you don't have to worry about the miserable kids. Carlos, we help Carlos. His mom comes in him, into him every morning to give him a break time to feed him and then dinner time and we support him and his mother. Um, we were asked by a pastor that I knew, he said, will you go to this township? And to be honest, it's, all townships are bad. Um, but this one township, I, I never ever liked going to it because as you come down into the township, they've got these big humps. Um, so it means you've got to slow down so slow and there's so many people around and where we go to, no other white, white men go and don't, don't go to townships. In the 29 years, I've never seen a white person on a township other than the, one, the ones that have come with me. So white people do not go to townships. So as you've got to go with these humps and you've got people either side and it's a township that soon as I start driving down to it, I press the button that locks all the doors. Uh, so it's a little bit, it's, it's a little bit of a, you know, it's a little bit of a scary place. So we go down over and everybody's looking. We finally get to this place. Um, and all of these kids come to this 
church. It's a it's a leisure not a leisure. It's a, like a community center. All the windows are smashed out, and it's it's in a terrible state. But all of these kids come because here on a Sunday afternoon is the only place where they feel safe, only place where they feel loved. The pastor warned me. He says all of these kids, uh, the majority of these kids are abused, and when they leave here, they have to go back to houses where the the, the abuse continues. So when we knew what we were coming to, Dan and myself kind of prayed especially about what we would talk to these children about. And we believe God gave us something to share with these kids. And uh, we made an appeal at the end, and 18, 18 of the children, came, of the older ones, came forward. And uh, they were kids that were being abused, uh, were in a terrible state, traumatized, but they knew that if they came to Christ, that they would have that peace in, in their heart and in their life. And when they walked away, it was with mixed emotions. It was bittersweet. So happy that they'd come to know the Lord. But knowing that when they went out through that door, they were going back to people who would abuse them. There's no social services as such. They've got a thing called social welfare. Uh, and they, you know, it's just that nobody, nobody cares there. So we've left them in God's hands. Uh, knowing that they, uh, they have just come to know the Lord. And um, I look back through an old diary when I was in youth and, and with the young people. And uh, uh, if, you, if you pray and lead someone to the Lord, that's an amazing thing, an absolutely amazing thing. As I looked through the diary for one year, I was so privileged to have prayed with 18 young people. And that was just a thrill, an absolute thrill. And there were 18 young people by here, and as I listened to them, as we led them through a prayer, and they were praying, their prayer was just as, just as sincere, just as uh, uh, real as any, any that I've ever heard. This is one of the schools we go to. This is a government school. If I get a camera or my phone out, the kids turn up. This is, <coughs> excuse me, this is uh, 7 o'clock in the morning. We had to start off at 6, up at 6 because uh, we had to get through Bulawayo, and we get, had to get out to a township. Um, and school assembly is 7 o'clock, because it just gets too hot later in the day. But we're able to share the gospel with all of these kids, and they don't... Uh, I do school assemblies around here, and uh, I know I've only got 20 minutes, 25 minutes at the most. Uh, when you do the schools in Bulawayo, they say, what do you want? Do you want an hour? Do you want two? And the thing is, I can't do school assemblies for that long. But we get a chance to share the gospel. I think I might have showed you. These are the Methodist kids. Um, Mike provided all the Bibles. There's 42 Bibles in, uh, in this place. Um, I took, I when I took assembly in, in uh, this college, uh, in front of me were uh, hundreds of young girls and hundreds of young boys. And these are just little things that kind of stick in your mind. And uh, I started, I said, this song... You probably know, and it's been sung in every church in the world, Christian church in the world. So I started singing, Amazing Grace. And I went like that, and they joined in. So I had like a 400 African choir singing Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And it was beautiful. I just wish I'd had it recorded. It was absolutely beautiful. And when it stopped, I said, do you know who wrote that? And they all grinned. So I said, if you don't know who wrote it, you don't know his testimony. So I told them how he was 
a, uh, a captain of a slave ship and how one night when he thought that he was going to sink, he called on God and God saved him. And uh, so they were quite amazed to hear all about that. So I had to apologize for our, our past and how we were involved in slave trade and whatever. Um, disabled, disability is not inability. Uh, this school, um, the headmaster of this school is called Patrick. I've known him for many, many years, and in the 29 years, I've kind of followed him around as headmaster in different schools, and he has a disabled son, um, and he, his heart is for children with learning difficulties and disabilities. And he must be from a Zulu tribe or whatever, because he's up there. He's really, really tall. And I, 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 I WhatsApped him, and I said, I'm coming down in the morning to see you. So I walked into his office and he went, Brother Gwyn, God bless you. And he gave me a big hug and he went, How is Brexit? <laughs> I, said, I said, Patrick, I've just traveled 7,000 miles. Please, please, I don't want to talk about Brexit. But these, oh, this, this, um, this picture of the school, uh, they've never ever, nobody has ever taken a picture of the old school before. So they were thrilled to have this picture and they've gone out to have copies done. And uh, I don't you just love those, wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to bring one of those home with you? Beautiful kids. And we're able, I think I might have said this before, we're able to um, buy food for teachers. Uh, teachers are almost bottom of the food chain. Um, the government, the corrupt government will pay the army and the police uh, if they haven't got any money, it's teachers are the ones that don't get paid. Uh, they might not be paid for three months. Then they'll pay them a month. Then they might not pay them for another two months. So it's possible that a teacher could be owed six months' salary. And they just wait in and hoping. And we've seen teachers pass out in school because they're there working all day, caring for these kids, looking after the kids, and there's no, and they have any food to feed their kids. So... When we do something like this, we know it's, uh, it, it's, going to be, it's going to be so good for them. We are, unable to, we are able to go into so many different areas. We go to many, many bush villages. Uh, this is two and a half hours out uh, into the bush, over rough roads, no tarmac, because as soon as you drive off the main street in Bolueo, you're onto dirt roads. Um, so we drive for two and a half hours out to, the, to this village. And uh, just around the corner, we had a meeting just around the corner. Um, there was about 60, 70 people there. Um, I sang, I testified, and, and Sam was with me, and he preached the gospel. And there was a man leaning against the mud hut. And he didn't want to be a part of what was going on. He was just leaning against the mud hut. Then after the, the meeting was over, he came and came to Sam and said, you said something about God forgiving people? He said, yes, God can forgive you. Do you need to be forgiven? And he said, can God forgive murder? And he said, yes, he can forgive murder. And this was so far out that they made their, they were, they made their own laws. They, 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 there was no police, would never ever go this far out. So in the old days, they used to fight each other as tribes and many people used to die. But now, in this day and age, in 2019, they send a man from the village. If it's a dispute with people from another village, they send a man to fight. It's barbaric, but that's what they do. 
So if there's this dispute, rather than the whole villages fighting each other, they send a man to fight. And this man was the man that this village sent to fight for them. And over the years, it might have been many years, he'd killed seven people. And he wanted to know, could God forgive him for killing people and for murdering people? This is a typical <coughs> township house. There's a young lady when she was um, 13 years of age, was in another township house, and she heard the gospel for the first time. Her name is Princess. We call her Princess. Her name was Seema Edward, but at the time we couldn't say that name, so we call her Princess. And she came running to her mother's house, and she wasn't, either wasn't aware or um, through the excitement of just accepting Christ as her saviour, she ran in and told her mother, I've just asked Jesus to come into my heart. Her mother was into prostitution and witchcraft, and she said, don't say that name in this house. Get out and sleep in the outside toilet. So she made her own daughter sleep in the outside toilet for one year, for two years, for three years, for four years, for five years. She slept in the outside toilet for five years. She used to keep a school uniform underneath a dustbin. She'd get up and go to, uh, to school. Um, when she came home, people would call her in. Everybody was so frightened of her mother. People would call her in and give her some tea and a piece of bread. Um, people would go uh, at the, the, anonymously and pay her school fees so she could still carry on going to school. And after five years, her mother tried to kill her. And then they finally took her away. And there wasn't a person in her family that was a Christian. No, her brothers, her mother, her father, her aunties, her uncles, there was no one in her family that was a Christian. And one by one, because of her faithfulness, and God's faithfulness to her, they became, became Christians, became Christians. One by one, by one, by one, 40, 50 people became Christians because of her, because of her. <laughs> I remember the, the time that, um, I, I'd seen her mother around before, and I remember the time I went into the house and she was there. And she became a Christian as well. And um, Princess said, uh, just to embarrass her mother a bit. She said, Mom, I've told Bampi what you've done. <laughs> just to embarrass her a bit. And her mother is always sat in the front. Her mother is always the one with the Bible, the book, and the pen, writing down scriptures. And the transformation is just unbelievable. We've, uh, we brought Princess to Britain. Uh, we helped her finish off her schooling. She went to university in uh, Leicester. Now, she teaches in, in Leicester. She's a, a, um, a university lecturer in Leicester. And she sent me a picture of her, her four-bedroomed, brand-new, detached Barrett's house the other week. And it wasn't like that. So God has done amazing things in people's lives. Um, and he's done amazing things in her life. She and her husband then went to Leicester. There was 15 people in the church. Um, and they were responsible for getting people in. And uh, there are about 600 in the church now in about 10 years. This is, a, this is a 10 miles outside um, Bulawayo. And it's the local dump uh, where all the rubbish is. And there's a, there's a whole community there, a whole community. And I've said before, they, they were... It made me think of lepers in biblical times when they were outside the city. 
And this whole community have been there for 20 years plus, living, and they've made little houses. They've made little houses there. This young man on the right side, uh, Andy, his name is Andy. That's his father on the, on the left. His name is Bonani. He looks after nine churches. But this young man, Andy, just felt he should go out there and reach this community, this community that nobody wants, nobody loves, nobody cares for. And that's the place that Jesus would have went to, and he felt that he should go there. So they got some timber poles, put them in the ground, steel sheets, and they built a church behind. That's their church. And they built that church behind. And he'd had about 60 people saved. Last weekend, there were five people saved last weekend. And the one man that was saved, his knees, a bit like my knees, his knees were so short he couldn't walk to church. So his wife brought him in a wheelbarrow. So his wife brought, brought him in a wheelbarrow and he got saved. So, because uh, my knees are terrible. So I, if you ever along Park Road or whatever, you see Diane pushing me in a wheelbarrow. Uh, there's a Christopher Palmer's books there. Uh, Christopher Palmer in our church has uh, written those books. So he gave me the books to take out, so we share them around the different churches to help the, help the churches. Um, this guy had been there over 20 years. Right at the back, that's his little house right at the back. We were able to take knitwear for some of these kids. This young lady had walked one mile to get water for the church, and then she walked back. And as she, she slipped a little bit coming down by there, and I thought, oh my gosh, she's, she's going to lose that water. We were able just to, we always keep in the boot of our car just uh, things. So to each family that was represented there, we gave just a bag of rice. That's the name of the church now. That's Diane speaking. And you know what? You know, I've been to some different places, and this is a beautiful place. But stood there on that mud floor, I felt, I felt honored to be there. Um, Nobody knows about this guy. You people are the, the only ones that are seeing what he's doing. Uh, in the middle of nowhere, nobody knows about him. No, nobody knows what he's doing, uh, except for us that have turned up there. We were the first visitors that have ever been there. We turned up there, and now we know we can share what he's doing. One of the things he did as well, there's 50 children in this, in this community that are not having an education. So he brought them into the church, started to learn them to read and write. And this was going really, really well. The education committee found out about it and came and seen him and, said, and shut him down and said, you can't, you can't teach, you haven't got authority to start a school. You're not licensed to start a school. So they closed him down. And he said that he thought they felt a little bit guilty because there's 50 kids there that are not having any, any education at all. So they sent people to pick the 50 children up and take him to, to a school. And he thought, oh, right, this solved the problem. But, you know, you have um, zero tolerance with bullying in this country. It does not always work. It's non-existent there. The kids are picked up. They're taken to school. The teacher pushes them in the corner and calls them the smelly kids from the dump. All the rest of the children pick on them and bully them. So what chance have they got in education? Even the teacher laughs at them and calls them the smelly kids from the dump. Would you like to be baptized in that water? 
God is doing amazing things. In all, every little corner of the world, God is doing amazing things. And they baptized 50 people in one weekend. Now, this is the Sandra Jones Center that a lot of you know about. Uh, you, you don't get to this place. You don't get to come in through these doors if you're a young child or a, or a young girl, unless uh, you've been traumatized by something absolutely horrible that's happened to you. So they come up to this gate, and I often wonder how they must feel. Where are, we, where are we going? Where are the police taking me? Where are my relatives taking me? Where are the social services taking me? Where are they taking me? And they come in through this gate, and this gate is an entrance to an old hotel. Uh, place is falling down a little bit. It looks kind of posh there, but it's not. It's falling down a little bit. And they take him to this place, and these are some of the children from the Sandra Jones Center who we have sponsors for. Uh, they are just they are just so special and uh, we have a uh, we have a close relationship with everybody there's nearly 100 kids and young girls in this place but we have a slightly better relationship with all of these because uh, these are all part a close part of our family you just take take the one year um, Ivy she stood up in court told the judge what her uncle had done to her he went to jail for 10 years, and that's a rarity, people going to jail. He went to jail for 10 years, but she's got a life sentence because she's now HIV positive. And that's the same with lots of kids there. Um, I, with the ladies here, now I can't tell you about Lamech or something to Lamech and some of these others. Um, but these are, these are a close part of our family. These young girls were attacked and abused. Um, they decided to keep their babies. Uh, that's Bibles from Mike again. All who enter here find love. And for these children and these young girls, this is the first time of anybody have ever loved them and cared, cared for them. I wonder this young girl, when she pulled up to those gates, did she wonder what on earth is going to happen here? A little pregnant schoolgirl, what is going to happen when I go through those gates? Well, that's a genuine smile on her face because she's had her baby um, She's had some jumpers and things from us. She had a Bible, and um, she's been looked after and cared for. She'll have her education, um, and they'll help her. These are some of the boys, some of the kids that we bought them new school uniforms. Some more of the Bibles that uh, Micah provided. These girls begged. They seen me giving Bibles to the older ones. And said, please, because I'm Uncle Dubey, my name, my African name is Uncle Dubey. Uncle Dubey, please, please, can we have Bibles? So we give them Bibles as well. These are some more. Uh, two girls there are 13 years of age. One is pregnant. Um, and believe it or not, pimps, pimps had them working the streets since they were six years of age. And then they were rescued. A week before this, they were rescued. Um, but they're only 13 now. And then last week, uh, the one girl gave birth. The smiles you see is because they, they are now in a place that they feel safe and secure. They are loved. They cared for. Now, I don't know why this baby... It was either my face that made the baby cry or the, the teddy bear that we gave her. I don't know. Um, that's um, Imelda on the end there. She was a slave. She was locked away as a slave. And then she was rescued, and uh, she now does the accounts. She had her education and now does the accounts in there. That's three of our girls. And uh, the two ladies that run this place. 
um, Debbie, she's Australian, and uh, she's put her money where her mouth is, kind of thing. She she's adopted four of the Sandra Jones girls, so she has four daughters. She's not married, so she has four daughters now. Uh, and and Tina there is the other lady that runs it, and she has uh, she's had one, she's adopted one. So you just see all of these with. Uh, they're all happy and they're all smiling. This is watermelon time. We always take them something like watermelon or oranges. And I take assembly with them in the, in the, the foyer of the hotel. Uh, all these children went to schools, other schools, but they were being picked on, they were being bullied because they were children from the orphanage or from the Sandra Jones Center. So they were being picked on and bullied and their school report at the end of a term wasn't very good at all. So a Christian teacher came along, um, and uh, she teaches all these children now, and they are, they are going from strength to strength. That's some of the girls having Bible studies with, uh, with, their, with their new Bibles. And that's a thank you to all of you uh, for all that you've done. And we thank you and appreciate it so much. We have a video to show you now if we could um the words of the video um really really spoke to me and um it's a modern song um but it spoke to me of these young girls um and the devil has tried to do the worst that he possibly can to these girls but god has taken their lives and done something amazing we are hoping now to send 30 of them um, on a Christian camp, a five-day Christian camp. And we had testimonies back from them. Uh, uh, we've been sending them on a camp now for a, a good number of years. And we're going to send them on a Christian camp. And uh, they will have the most amazing time. And then we'll hear their testimonies when they come back of what God has done in their lives. So, uh, well, thank you very much. Um, I, will, I won't get back up now. I'll sit down and let you watch the video. Thank you. Father, we give you praise that, Lord, we are part of a worldwide church. Lord, it isn't just Oakdale, it isn't even just the valleys, Lord. Lord, thank you are moving in all the nations. Lord, when, even when the enemy would come against your work, Lord, you were, you were always working. You were raising up a standard even when he comes in like a flood. So we pray again tonight, stir our hearts again to realize, Lord, what well, we may be here and we may even think, what can we do? But Father, our prayers, our gifts can influence other people on the other side of the world. We give you praise. Bless us tonight. Speak into our hearts. Again, give us greater vision. Lord, as you spoke into those on that day of Pentecost, you opened their vision from a, a parochial vision to a global vision, you said, to Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. Take this great gospel. Help us again to have a global vision. We pray in your name. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. To find out more about our church, visit www.oakdalechristiancentre.org.